October 24, 2021. 12. Proclaim Jesus. Good morning, church. Last week we began a series we are calling 12, where we are going to give you 12 words that define our future together as a church. When you're talking to a friend or a family member, maybe even a coworker, and they ask you what your church is all about, you will be able to rattle off these 12 words and paint a picture of who we are. The first seven words come from our mission statement, the next three from our vision statement, and then the last two words, oh boy, the last two words are the ones you've been waiting for for a long time. The last week of this series on November 14th, we will reveal our new church name. Today we will discuss the next two words of our mission statement, and you may even begin to see a pattern developing. Before I do, this is how we view our mission statement. A mission statement looks around and concisely defines our reason for existence, and catch this part, at the most meaningful level. In other words, when everything else is stripped away and there's nothing else happening, this is what is most important to us. If we aren't accomplishing our mission, we are failing as a church. Every ministry will have this mission statement, hopefully on their bulletin boards, on their computer screens, on their desks, and it'll be on the front of their minds as they plan and do everything we do as a church. And then everything will be evaluated against the statement to see if we're actually on mission. Failure to clearly communicate the purpose of our existence will lead to divergent understandings of what we are doing and why we are doing it. However, when our mission is articulated, when it's understood, when it's fully supported, it will not only inform what we do, but catch this, but why we do it. But there's also one other bonus. It will advise us against what not to do because there's lots of good things that get in way of the mission statement. So it'll show us what not to do as we're striving for what we really value. Our mission statement will answer questions like, who are we? What is our purpose? Why do we exist? What do we do? And maybe one of the most important questions, who do we serve? Last week we revealed the first two words, pursue the Father. And we answered these three questions. What does it look like to pursue the Father day in and day out? What does it mean for you and me to truly pursue God? The second question, what happens when you pursue the Father? What happens in your life, in your relationship with God as you earnestly seek to pursue him every day? And the third question was how do you pursue the Father? Now let me pause here for a moment. The last question is actually the most important. The only way to pursue the Father is to know the Son, to have a relationship with Jesus. One day, while doing life with his disciples, Jesus was talking to them about preparing a place in his Father's house. And Thomas asked Jesus this question, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how, how can we know the way? It's a profound question and Jesus answered it in this way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Jesus made it abundantly clear that the only way to pursue the Father is through him. 
Nothing else will get you there. No other religious figure will get you to the Father. To pursue the Father, you must know Jesus. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. Each week of this series builds on the previous weeks. Knowing that the first part of our mission is to pursue the Father, let's add the next two words. So it's pursue the Father and then proclaim Jesus. We will know we are on mission as a church when stories of people beginning a relationship with Jesus are normal around here. For a Christian though, proclaiming Jesus can be an anxiety-ridden chore that elicits thoughts of rejection and isolation. So, we will talk about that this morning. And after we look at John 4, where we will see how Jesus went about talking to people about eternal life, we will give you a tool that you can use to share your faith. One that will remove some of the anxiety and fear that maybe you have felt in the past. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we thank you for this opportunity to dive into the series, to talk about what's most important to us as a church. And Lord, I pray that in the moments and the time that follows, that we would catch a glimpse, Father, of what it means to proclaim Jesus to our world. And that, Father, you would remove the anxiety that that may even be welling up in some people's hearts right now. You would remove that and replace it with a calmness and a desire to touch our world, to tell people about Jesus. So we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The opportunity to watch yourself on a screen and then stand up in front of a group of people. You know, that guy, I think he messed up a few words and I'm going to have to go back and talk to him. That's the worst part. You catch every little thing you say. Anyway. Being a perfectionist, <laughs> that stinks. I, anyway, whew, I didn't mean to go there, but I did. So welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. You know, after last week when we talked about Pursue the Father, a lot of people, I've heard a lot of feedback saying, this feels so right. It feels so right as a church that as we look at our future, that the first thing we said was above all else, we want to pursue God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That as we think about our Heavenly Father, that He becomes the center of our attention in our pursuit. And then we added uh, that Jesus is the only way to get to Him. And today, today might be as good or better than last week. I, they're all good, so I, it's even hard to say that. But as we talk about proclaiming Jesus, to add what it looks like to be a church that proclaims Jesus to our world, that is not afraid of our Savior that is not afraid of the one who saved us from our sins. And we, we have something that we know we need to tell everybody else. We know we have the answer to life and what so many people are looking for. So why wouldn't we tell them? We're going to dive into John 4. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, or it'll be up on the screens, whatever works best for you. But we're going to start in John 4, verses 5 through 9, and get a window get a window into how Jesus talked about himself to others. And as we do, I hope that it encourages us to do the same. So John 4, verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called um, Sychar, near the plot of land called... <laughs> near the plot... <laughs> no, no, stay, please stay. Oh, I love it. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground David had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there. And Jesus tried, um, was Jesus, <laughs> I'm so distracted. <laughs> and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus asked a question and in that set of verses that as he did, he broke many social norms. You might even say he committed a faux pas. When he said, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? He was one, talking to a woman, and two, that woman was a Samaritan, both of which were no-nos. If somebody had a camera and they had their phone and they snapped a picture and they posted it to their Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever you do, the comments would pile up over and over again. They would say, what was Jesus doing? Didn't he realize he shouldn't be in this situation doing the things he was doing? Doesn't he realize he should not be talking to that person and, and asking her for a drink? There would have been outrage. Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile. When the Assyrian captivity of, of, that, of Israel happened and some of the Jews were taken away and some stayed, some intermarried with the um, Assyrians and their, their bloodline was diluted. And the pure Jews looked at them as, as half-breeds of less thans, of people you didn't want to associate with. They even built their own temple and worshipped God in their own way. As the Jews saw the Samaritans, they saw people who were far from God, far from where they think they should be. And there was this divide, and you didn't even talk to such people. But Jesus knew that all too well. There was also a rabbinic tradition that it was forbidden to give any woman a greeting. Any woman at all. For Jesus to say hello to a woman on the street, or in this case at a well, was not acceptable. In making these, these, and asking this question, Jesus broke two major social errors. He made two social errors. Jesus broke social norms all the time. And you know what? He didn't care. He looked beyond the culture. He looked beyond the religious differences. He looked beyond gender. And you know what he saw in this woman? He saw a person whose heart was broken, who was alone, who was far from God. And he knew that she, her eternity would not lie with his father. Jesus saw a broken and hurt person and he had to step in. He couldn't walk away. He saw her pain and knew that he had to do something about it. Jesus saw exactly, exactly what was going on in her life. And his heart broke for her. A woman that many others had overlooked and counted as worthless. A person who was far from God and didn't know what, what was going on in her world and she was incredibly confused. A woman, as we'll see in just a few moments, had all kinds of other issues going on too. Jesus looked at her and saw her. He saw her heart and her need for a savior. A little bit later in the interaction in, in verse um, 16, this is what happened. Jesus told her, 
he told her, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have, what you have said is quite true. Not only was this woman a Samaritan, but she also had this sordid past. She'd had many husbands. Her personal history was scandalous to her own people, let alone the Jews amongst Samaritans. Her past was scandalous. Why do you think she was going to the well in the heat of the day? Why wasn't she going early in the morning when it was cool or later in the evening when it was cool? Why was she there when the sun was beating down on her? You know why? In the morning and the evening is when everybody else went to the well. It's when you probably had a line up to fill your bucket. It's when people were there chatting and um, like we have the water cooler at work today. People would talk around the well. They would gather. There would be a place of fellowship. But here's the scandalous woman who would not go with her people at that time of day. Why wouldn't she go? I bet she felt their ridicule, their sideways comments, them poking fun at her saying, oh, here she comes, the one with all the husbands the one who has been all over our community, here she comes. Give her room. Don't get near her. I bet she heard that all the time. She was avoiding the crowds and the ridicule, the snickers and the sideways comments. She was incredibly broken. And it's in that place of brokenness and hurt, it's no surprise that Jesus wrapped her his arms figuratively around her and loved her in the middle of that place because as we see in other places in scripture, Jesus loved the unlovable people. Do you remember when Jesus called Matthew earlier in the scriptures or his name was Levi at that point and he called him to be his follower. He was a tax collector, one of the most notorious sinners in the area. Jesus called him to follow him but just after that, Matthew threw a party he invited all his other friends that were known as notorious sinners to come to his house and eat and celebrate because Jesus was there and Jesus joined them. And when the religious leaders saw this, when the teachers saw this, they said, why does he eat with such scum? Why does Jesus eat with such scum? We should not be surprised that Jesus sat down with this woman at the well. We should not be surprised that he had fellowship with her because he was in the business of being with people that others overlooked. It was his nature to reach into the lives of those who others had no interest in and to love them with no condemnation. He listened and he heard their stories and he felt their pain. He loved them. He spoke truth to them in the middle of their deepest hurts. He built trust. We should not be surprised that Jesus sat and talked with the Samaritan woman at the well. It's who our Jesus is. It's what he does. He loves people who are unlovable. After all, he loves you and me. And if we were all going to write our life stories on a whiteboard for the whole group to see, I bet we'd write things that we wouldn't be proud of either. 
And Jesus loves you in the middle of that. And he loves this woman in the middle of her sin. He loved Matthew in the middle of being a tax collector. He's in the business. Jesus builds relationships with broken and diverse people everywhere he went. He built relationships that, that showed life and value and dignity to people who might not have had it. Jesus loved the unlovable. When they were in their deepest pain and nobody else cared, he would reach in and hold them up and show them that they had worth and value, that they were children of God. Dignity and respect probably dripped from every word that fell from his mouth. He hung out and loved those who were on the fringes of society, tax collectors, prostitutes, those who would be considered unclean by many. Jesus loved them well. Compassion for all. Love and care for all. Those others would consider scum, he showed love and tender care. Isn't Jesus incredible? It's when you really dive into the Gospels and you begin to understand how he lived and how he taught and how he carried himself that you can look at him and say, this is somebody worthy of following. This is somebody who's worthy of giving my life to. This is worthy. He is worthy of me telling other people because of how incredible he is as we proclaim Jesus. But he didn't stop there. He didn't stop and just tell her about her sin and the things he had done. He goes on to tell her who he was. John 4, verses 10 through 11 and, and beyond. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God who, excuse me, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who that asks you for a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman replies, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? She doesn't understand. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank for it himself as also did his sons and his flocks and herds? And then Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them, give him, will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw more. Jesus talks about living water, but he doesn't truly define what it is or tell her what it's all about. She wants it desperately, but Jesus really wasn't talking about physical water that we would drink. He had a greater purpose and a greater story in mind. And we can figure out what the living water is if we turn a few pages back in John 7. In another encounter, Jesus said, on the last, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me is... Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. He meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, 
since Jesus had not been glorified. When Jesus is talking about living water, he's talking about the very presence of the Holy Spirit welling up from within us. A, a, a spirit, a, a living water that will never cease, will never go away, and will always flow from the very essence of who we are, from the center, from our spirit, will flow the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is offering her. That deep longing in her heart to be filled by the Holy Spirit. That deep longing that we all have in all of our hearts to be filled by the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible promise. It's an incredible picture of this well of living water forming inside us and pouring out so that we never thirst again. That's what he's promising her. That's what he's promised you and me. Have you ever realized that? That when you accept Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence within you and he's alive in you. Welling up, flowing out. The woman didn't know what to do. She was caught. Jesus continued. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. At this point, her heart is cracking open. She's beginning to understand what's happening and maybe who's standing in front of her. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared to this woman, I, the one you are speaking of, the Messiah, I am he. Jesus declares he's Messiah. He just doesn't build a relationship with her and, and tell her some nice things about living water and her family history and all that she's done. He then opens up the scriptures to her and opens up all of reality and eternity and says, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one who's been waited for for generations and here I am right in your presence. There's a lot we can learn as we follow Jesus' example in John 4. The first for you and me to go to challenging places. Jesus went through Samaria, sat at this well with this woman. He, it was a challenging environment and the same can be true for you and me. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go across the country, across the world to sit with somebody in a difficult situation. I'm saying maybe it's going to your next door neighbor's house. Maybe it's talking to somebody you've had this rough relationship with and you know you need to go to that challenging place, but it might not even be that. It might just be engaging in normal life, which can be challenging. And as you're in those places, maybe your friends who you've known from years, you begin to love them and see them through this light and realize, I have something they need. I have my Savior and they don't know Jesus and maybe... It's time to proclaim Jesus to those people in your world. To show them your Savior. 
Maybe it's going to another section of town of, you know, whichever town you live in, going to somewhere you don't normally go. Maybe it's every day when you go about your normal life to work, to school, to the local coffee shop, wherever you find yourselves. You begin to, to go and see that as a challenging place where people need to know about Jesus. And that every interaction we have, every place we go, everything we do is an opportunity to go to a challenging place to show people the love of our Savior. And then when you're in those challenging places, you build relationships with broken and diverse people, just like Jesus did. You see people who might be politically different than you or have different religious backgrounds or maybe they dress differently and have tattoos and piercings all over. Or maybe if you have tattoos and piercings, you can find somebody who doesn't because those people are weird to you too. But you go to these places and you build relationships with people who are maybe older or younger than you. Maybe it's family members who live in your own house who you don't need to go very far, but you know they're far from Jesus and you need to build relationships with those people. As we follow Jesus' example in, in uh, John 4, we're to go to challenging places and then build relationships Listen to their stories. Maybe share a meal with them. Have them over to your house to to be with your family. But to build relationships with people who are broken, just like this woman. Who are diverse, just like this woman. And love them in the name of Jesus. Proclaim your Jesus to these people. And then as you do, as you go to challenging places and build relationships, and then eventually you tell them about Jesus. I remember um, years ago when John Wood was here, he always used to say, when you build a bridge to somebody and you build the relationship and you head in that direction, you better cross the bridge. If you put the effort into getting to know them, getting to know their story, loving them, caring for them, and never tell them about Jesus, you're, you're leaving out the most important part. Cross the bridge. Tell them about Jesus. When I began, I said I was going to give you an easy strategy to to do this. And again, there's many methods of of which you can share your faith. But we've selected one, and I left a book. Dan, can you toss me that book right there? Thanks. This is really simple, and if you, I don't have a ton of them here, but if you want to go online and buy this book, this could be an opportunity for you to begin to learn how to share your faith. It's simply called Bless. Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and to Change Your World. It's by the Ferguson Brothers from Chicago. We're going to adopt this as a strategy we use to share our faith to our communities in and around Hamburg and wherever you live as a way to love people. And it's really simple. There's five letters in bless, as you can see. The first one is to begin with prayer. And the book goes into much more detail. I'm just going to give the the 30,000 foot view. Begin with prayer. Ask God who you should love, who you should bless, who you should care for. Listen to them. As God identifies, maybe it's a family member, a coworker, a kid you sit with in the cafeteria every day to listen to their story, and then to eat with them. In Western New York, we love eating with people, don't we? We love it. Chicken wings and pizza all the time. With blue cheese, not ranch. And he's not even from Buffalo. You'll get to know him in just a moment. He's already figured it out. 
But as you eat with people, you learn about them. You hear their story. You begin to understand what makes them tick and what they're excited about. And then as you learn those things, serve them in the ways in which they need to know Jesus. Serve in their needs and what they're doing in their lives. And then when it's appropriate, tell your story. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them the difference that he's made in your life. And as you do, see what the Lord does. It's funny, Jeremy, that you were just heckling me and I'm going to ask you to come up here right now. Not because you were heckling me, because we planned this ahead of time, right? Everybody, this is Jeremy Emmert. He's from Poetis International, our, part, our, ministry, our partner ministry in Zambia. I can't even speak. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. It's good to be here. And his whole family's in the front row and others from Poetis, so, right? Your whole crew's here. They are. We're spread out all over all the campuses as well. Yeah, Poetis is at every campus today, and they're going to speak, and Jeremy's going to help me. I, I'm, I might change the questions on you. No problem. Bring it on. Jeremy and I have known each other for just under 10 years. We first met in Zambia, and I think you say, I'm awful with years, 2012. That's right. It was 2012. 2012, and we've known each other since, and we generally like each other. We really like each other. It's like a brother from another mother. Yeah. Exactly. Same haircut, same beard. It's really incredible. So, Jeremy, you guys in, in Zambia, you minister in a part of the country um, that's actually sort of central to a lot of things that happens. You're trying to take Choma in the name of Jesus. H how do you guys see this playing out as you proclaim your faith? And I know you guys proclaim your faith. Every chance you get, you proclaim Jesus. What does it look like in your context? You know, I think one of the things that we've really learned... Um, that we're still, you know, in process of learning, but is the importance of asking Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the cool thing is the first thing it, it mentions in Bless is to begin with prayer. And as we do that, we've really seen the Lord lead us into spaces and places where, honestly, no other churches are going. Um, and so it's been a neat opportunity. It's like when you listen and then you go, and we always tell our people, you actually have to put your feet and go. Um, the Lord could tell you something and then you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, then you're never going to see the fruit from that. And so for us, you know, one example, I know that's, I mean, you might, we're going to yeah. ask that. I think that was the next question. Go ahead, man. Um, we really felt the Lord leading us was we went into the community specifically um, to go and reach out to people in bars. And in Zambia, there's a lot of homemade bars. What I mean by that is people just brew their own beer. It's illegal. Um, and they do it in their home and people get very drunk very quickly. Um, and the Lord was like, I just want you to go and share the love of Christ. He kept saying, just tell people I love them. And so we went and immediately what would happen, people would start putting their drinks away. And I'm like, listen, actually, that's not even why we're here. We're just here to tell you Jesus loves you. I'm like, really? No one, no churches have ever come. Well, what came from that? I won't, you know, cause I'm, I'm a pastor too. So I could tend to want to preach. I won't do that. But what came from that was people started to say, oh my gosh, they actually care about me. They love me. Now, people, we have literally baptized people from those bars that have come, and they've come to Christ, and they're now meeting in our homes for Bible studies. And that's because literally we had to listen first, right? We couldn't just conjure up a plan. It was like God said, go. We went. We said, Jesus loves you. We started to eat with them. We were there on a weekly basis, started mm -hmm. being in their homes. Like some of the homes are just like second homes to me. And now, we're seeing fruit from that. 
And it's just continuing. And so, but all that started with just asking the Lord, what is it you want us to do? And not thinking we knew the answer. So isn't that an incredible story? Going from bars to baptizing people. And in Zambia, drinking is a huge deal. And people just drown their, their pains away. Absolutely. So what encouragement would you have from us looking in, knowing us as a friend for the last 10 plus, well, 10-ish years? What encouragement would you have for us? I mean, again, I would just say that you really need to listen to what the Lord wants you to do. As I was even praying over this, I'm believing God for big things in this city, and I believe that it's going to start here in this church. But it's not the big things, it's the small things. It's the day-to-day, you know? As I've been hanging out with people while we've been here, I hear people say, God told me to do this, so I did it. Um, And it can be something as simple as buying a meal for someone in the line behind you. If God tells you to do it, just do it. And then don't worry about the rest. He's going to show you the next step. What do you want me to do today, Lord? That's the question I think I would say people should ask. Mm -hmm. What do you want me to do today? Now let's go do it. And it's fun. It's an adventure because you never know what's going to happen. And that's the beauty of it, right? It is. Man, I, I, if you see Jeremy and Courtney and, and Nikki mulling around, raise your hand, Courtney and Nikki, and then your kids too. You could put your kids on the spot if you wanted. But Raise your hand, kids. The three of them are here. So you could ask any of them about what that looks like in Zambia and how yeah. that plays out. They'd be happy to answer. Absolutely. Because yeah. they see it each and every day, they, multiple times. That's right. Oh, so much more I want to ask you. What's your favorite color? What, what's yours? Oh, see, you can't turn it's, that It's uh, Buffalo Bills blue. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I, that wasn't what I was going for, but that's wonderful. Um, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Thanks. Father, we thank you for Jeremy. We thank you for Courtney and, and Nikki and the rest of the team that are here. Father, we ask that you would use them in Zambia to make a difference in the lives of of those they serve. But Lord, I pray that for us here too in the south towns of of Buffalo, that we would make the same difference, that we would listen to your Holy Spirit's direction in our lives, that we would follow through, that we would do the things that we know we need to do to, to love our community well, to draw people to yourself as we proclaim, as we boldly proclaim our faith through our actions, through our words, for the ways in which we, we live our lives every day. That, Lord, as we think of what is still, for a few more weeks, Watermark Wesleyan Church, we would be a church who pursues the Father and proclaims Jesus everywhere we go, every day. Lord, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for this, this direction we're heading in of pursuing and proclaiming. And Father, I pray that you would use us to make a difference in our world. Change family trees. Change the story of families as they grab a hold of you. As they call you Lord and Savior. But we do thank you for the Poetis team and how they invest in us. Um, and Lord, we, we love them and thank, thank you for them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, buddy. One more thought. The woman went back to her town. She told people that she found this man who told her everything she'd ever done. She told them that she found the Messiah. And you know what happened? They came running to Jesus. 
all the people who once snickered at her and had snide comments about her came to see the person she was talking about. In the end of John 4, there's this verse. The people speaking to the woman. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This woman who had, she was isolated from her community became an evangelist. She became the one who told multitudes about Jesus. When you feel like you aren't qualified or smart enough or eloquent enough, when you feel like you don't have anything to offer people as you tell them about Jesus, think about this woman. Because she didn't either. But she knew she had a message that they needed to hear. And she told them anyway. As a church, we are going to pursue the Father, proclaim Jesus, and I'll tell you next week what's next. God, we do thank you for this time. Lord, give us the boldness of the Samaritan woman to share our faith, even when we don't feel like we can or are qualified to do so. Help us to be your ambassadors in this world, representing you everywhere we go and to proclaim you boldly. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.